Westridge. Well, you know what day this is. No, no, no. This is the day before the last day this message series ends. <laughs> see, see, I know you're disingenuous, but I feel good anyway. That's how screwed up I am. Uh, so if you're a guest or you've uh, you know, just been taking the summer off, uh, this is message four in what has turned out to be a five-part message series entitled Life Questions God Wants to Know, in which we look at some questions that God asks recorded for us in the Bible. And so for the faithful, righteous few in this room that have been to every single one, you will remember that the first one we looked at is recorded for us in the book of Exodus. Moses is standing before a burning bush and God asks him, what's in your is it hand or hands? Hand. Okay, let's vote. No. The second message in the series, recorded for us, a question is recorded for us in the book of Genesis, in which uh, there's a divine hide and seek going on. Adam and Eve hiding from God. God shows up the same time every evening in the garden, and He asks the question, "Where are you?" I'm so glad there have been three people in this whole <laughs> message series that have been the faithful, righteous remnant. Um, and then just last week, the first couple's first children didn't get along. And so Cain kills Abel, and uh, we find God once again showing up, asking Cain the murderer, where's your brother? Some of you are just copycats. You kind of hear the word, and you, you think, oh, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to be thought of as being here for this whole message series because it was so cool. Speaking of brothers... Um, I have one. And uh, almost every time I visit him, he pulls out old photos. Usually, his purpose in doing so is to remind me of our humble roots and to confirm his notion that I am one of the strangest people on earth that he knows. (laughs) One particular photo that he pulls out when he's feeling uh, smart-alecky confirms his delusions. It has me standing next to our mother... I'm in my usual plaid shirt and mismatched plaid shorts from the Goodwill holding an Easter basket, and the pose is something like this. Now, I don't care who you are. It's hard to seem masculine holding an Easter basket. There's something about that pink bunny and the colored stuff inside. Now, the fact that I was 22 years of age, I admit, (laughs) makes it a little odd, okay? And there are times I think the same thing about him. I think he's pretty weird. And yet, don't try to come between us. We do anything for each other. We've just learned to live with one another's eccentricities. There's a lot said today about family values and traditional families. That's usually code word for two-parent households with one or more offspring making a middle-class wage. Now, nothing wrong with that picture. I are one. However, do I need to tell you, for increasing numbers of people in this country, that's not the reality. In fact, where we've lived, the majority of our married life, my family has been the demographic minority when it comes to what it means to be family, especially so in Cook County, Illinois, and L.A. County, California. And so here we were, two married adults, never divorced, two daughters, but we've lived in neighborhoods that were 80% single, where 90% of the households didn't have children, where most lived together before marriage, high percentages of unwed mothers, high percentages of divorces. 
And so whether we like it or not, the family in this country is changing in an unprecedented way. And in the midst of these changes, we might ask the question of the day. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? That is to say, who's my family? Pretty contemporary question. And it's much more complex to answer today than it's ever been. And so for all of us who might not have had a traditional family or who today are not in traditional circumstances, I hope for you that there's comfort in the question that Jesus asked with regard to family. Let's review it. It It comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. It goes like this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied, who's my mother and who's my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this question is a bit more perplexing than the ones that we've posed before. And it must have startled his listeners, the the Jewish scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites standing around him. It must have startled them because the Jews in his audience put great importance on their idea of family, much like people do today. They must have been thinking, what's Jesus trying to do? Disrupt our idea of family values? Yeah, probably. What a revolutionary idea. Regardless of our family experience or current status, single parent or no parent, only child or troubled siblings, a positive experience or a negative memory, there is a new family we can choose to be a part of. It's God's own family. I think think the American church has spent way too much energy arguing the minor points of the law while ignoring Jesus' dream to be for each other a family. Jesus' question, who's my mother and who are my brothers? It's it's a powerful one because it's within families that most of us develop our self-awareness and our self-esteem or the lack thereof. You know that families have the power to enhance or damage our spiritual, social, mental, emotional life. You know that it's families who give us our identity, call forth our talents, or repress them. You know that families can be a source of encouragement or inhibit and constrict us. And so Jesus picks up on a theme that all of our other questions suggest, and it's this one. You don't have to stay the way you are. You're not in bondage to your past, regardless of what's in your family past. If, 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 you don't blame others, if you take responsibility, there's a family that's available to you that can bring out the best in you, can nudge you along in the process of growing up, and that family is the church, the family of God. In the Bible, there are several, several metaphors used for what we call church. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and also the family of God. 
And you and me, we get to choose to be adopted into this spiritual family. It's the family we've always been looking for. It's the sense of community and belonging all of us need. And so because of that universal need, I thought I'd just take a quick peek at the biblical demographics of family. Are you like me? Do you like demographics and statistics? Glad to know I'm connecting with my audience here. But since I really don't care what you think, I'm going through with the biblical demographics, the biblical demographics of family. Biblical family statistic number one. Number of perfect families. Zero. You got it? I'm keeping the number small because I'm considering who I'm speaking to here. And because I know that you don't have a perfect family of origin, and neither did I. And there's no perfect spiritual families, not in this life. I state the obvious because many outside the church think they can't be a part of the family of God because their family is too messed up. Because they presume church-going families are perfect. Even worse... There are some inside the church that have led them to think that we all have perfect families. I know that must be true because there are more messed up families in Elgin than just those of us in this room. The fact that there are no perfect families says, you may not like this, says we've got to work at it. Some labor under the delusion that if your family, things just automatically work out. Where'd that come from? Didn't come from the Bible. You know, sometimes when I visit, and I visit churches, and I hear people talking about subjects like this, I thought, where are they getting that? Take, for example, the earthly family of Jesus. He was born under some real difficult circumstances. First thing out of the box, his dad's talking about divorce. His family is frequently moving, uprooted all the time. And then growing up, the people in his hometown, those who knew him best, rejected him. Scholars assume that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, died early on and that Jesus' mother became a single parent with four sons and an undetermined number of daughters. And so we don't know why Mary brought all her other sons to the meeting we just read about in Matthew's Gospel chapter 12 where Jesus was speaking or what her motive was in asking him to come out. Was it to rebuke him? Was it to criticize his teaching? What we do know during his lifetime, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Sounds like there was some sibling rivalry going on. And so here's the traditional family that Jesus had. A single mom raising several children who didn't get along with each other. Know any families like that? Well, how about your Hebrew scriptures? How about the Old Testament? Surely, there are some traditional families there. Adam and Eve, we've already talked about them. Brother killing brother. Well, let's move on sort of chronologically. There's Noah, you know, the great sailor. And like great sailors, he gets drunk and has a son that acts disgracefully and is cursed. Well, how about Abraham, the father of our faith? He lies about who his real wife is, has a son by his wife's servant. Well, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob... 
The 12 tribes of Israel collectively have consistent family problems. His brothers sell Joseph into slavery over a sport coat. And because you're asking for more, King David, a man after God's own heart, he's unfaithful and has children with serious behavioral problems. And then one of the more famous parables that Jesus tells is about, of all things, a dysfunctional family. The story of the prodigal son, the elder brother, paints a picture of a very troubled family. The son's greedy, self-absorbed, thrill-seeking bum, and he's resented by his dutiful, hard-working older brother. And the older brother accuses his dad of playing favorites. And then how about the family that Jesus pointed to in our text? The apostles. When he says, here's my mother and here are my brothers. How about them? Peter would deny him. Judas would betray him. Thomas would doubt him. James and John had anger issues. So, we've got to admit... We're all somewhat wayward. And no family is perfect. And that means if you're looking for ultimate fulfillment in this life through family, you're going to be singing, still haven't found what I'm looking for for a long time. Now, I'm not saying there's no fulfillment that comes from our earthly family or our spiritual family. Of course there is. I'm just saying it's not the place of ultimate fulfillment was never designed to be so. Because no spouse, no child, no parents, no church, no pastor can provide ultimate fulfillment in life. They'll all come up short some way, somehow, someday. That's why the Bible presents heaven as the place of ultimate fulfillment. And if you're in this room right now, you're not in heaven yet. Phil Yancey writes, It's safe to say that I've learned more about grace, forgiveness, diversity, and yes, sin from my family than from all the theology books I've read. Troublesome issues take on a different cast when you confront them, not in a state legislature, but in a family reunion. And so real families work through their problems. They endure one another's eccentricities, quirks, abnormalities. And they always seek the best in the other, even if it's the tough thing to do. Biblical family statistic number two. Number of forever families. One. Unlike the other questions that we've considered in our series, Jesus actually answers his own question. When he points to the disciples and he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so the yardstick in determining who my spiritual siblings are is not determined by all those things that we frequently think are important. Ethnicity, wealth, education, place of residence. My spiritual family are the people who listen to the same Heavenly Father and hear the questions that He asks of them. And when a group of people assemble together who are intent on doing God's will, something supernatural happens. We have the hope 
of becoming the kind of family that we could never otherwise experience in this existence. We have the hope of becoming mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters to each other in liberating ways. And as a result, we have the hope of being more than we otherwise could have been. That's why this thing called church is so important. We've got the opportunity to grow up. After all, that's what families are for, right? To help us grow up and mature. Part of the reason we can grow up in our family of God is because we get to meet such a rich diversity of people, not like us, all of whom have something to teach us. People from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, people with different educational backgrounds, people from different geographical backgrounds. That richness and diversity, when bound together with the ribbon of a mutual desire to do God's will under God's grace, provides nurture and growth and maturity we can't get any other way except here. Now, in my family of origin, I had one younger, weirder brother and a father and mother. And what that means is I never experienced what it was like to have a sister or to have an older brother. And my parents came from pretty much the same monocultural backgrounds. They were not well-traveled or well-educated. And so early in my life, that meant I knew very little about other cultures, other peoples, not like me. And until our daughters married, I had no males to whom I could relate as a father. But within the community of faith, some of you can be for me as I can be for you. A part of the family we never had. The older brother, the son, the male or female role model. That's still possible. Jesus traveled and ate and worked with the group of disciples that he pointed to as his family. And then before he left, his most important message to them was simply this. Love one another as I have loved you. Is that too difficult of a sentence to understand? That was it. Intimacy wasn't optional for that band of brothers. And it's not optional for us. Now, because I picked up that you like demographics and statistics so well, I'm going to throw in some bonus ones just for you. You can be on speaking terms with between 40 and 70 people, give or take. But to have a close relationship, the size of the group has to be about the same size of the apostles. About 12 people, give or take. That's why you need to be a part of a smaller group than this Sunday experience. You just can't be intimate with hundreds of people at the same time. That doesn't mean they aren't your family. Or that you're playing favorites. It just means we've got limited emotional capacity. I think we've swallowed some other misperceptions when it comes to defining family. Being family doesn't mean we have to all have the same preferences. Now, I'll be real honest with you. I wish everyone in my spiritual family had the same refined, sophisticated, avant-garde tastes that I have. 
But the fact that Pastor Darren and I can be brothers indicate that we don't have to have the same kinds of refined, sophisticated, avant-garde tastes. You can have sort of boorish, pedestrian, (laughs) backward kind of taste. And that's okay. Because that's not what defines the relationship. It's Christian unity, not cultural conformity. And yet there have been way more divisions caused by differences in personal preferences than just about anything else. And so this church, this spiritual family, ultimately, it's not about my personal preferences. It's not about yours. It's about, do I need to say it again? It's about loving one another the way Jesus loved us. You can get that, can't you? I think you can. The family that the book of Revelation portrays in heaven, if you haven't looked at it recently, take a peek. It's in the back of the book. It's racially diverse. It's culturally diverse. It's linguistically diverse. And so if you don't like being in a city with people different from you, you're going to be uncomfortable in heaven. Because that's the picture. Get ready. The importance of family isn't always measured by proximity either. I love my deceased mother dearly, as I do my surviving father. But for most of my career, I was lucky to get to see them a couple times a year. Now, I call my father every day. Risa calls her surviving mother every day. We're just not able to physically be together that often. But that doesn't diminish the importance of the relationship. And among other things, it reminds me that I have a global family that one day I'm looking forward to meeting. It reminds me that the ultimate family reunion, when we're all together for all time, will never happen until we get to heaven. So I'm traveling on business. I'm on an airplane. I'm sitting in a row by myself. Thanking God for this miracle that I'm sitting in an airplane on a row by myself. See, I don't ask for big miracles. I just ask for some small miracles. Okay? And I'm content with that. And so a row behind me is a young woman on one side of the aisle and two older ladies on the other side of the aisle. And the young lady, a graduate student from Iowa, has never flown before. And she was obviously nervous and showed it by talking nonstop. (laughs) So here I am thinking, oh, great. I get lucky and get a row by myself, and I got Chatty Cathy sitting behind me. (laughs) So as a result, she developed something of a relationship with the two older ladies across the aisle. And as the plane begins its descent, she turned to the lady across the aisle, who one hour earlier had been a total stranger, and she asked this question. Are one of you a mother? And the one replied, Why, yes, I am. And she said, I'm going to meet some people I've never met. And I need a mother to tell me if I look presentable. And I thought to myself, How strange. I I can't imagine asking a stranger how I look. I can't even imagine caring.
But then I thought, how honest. And then I thought, we all need a mother, a father, older brother, a sister. No matter how weird they are, no matter how weird we are, there's hope. Jesus says of his family, these are my mother and these are my brothers. I want to be a part of that family. Maybe you do too. Well, we're sharpening our spiritual listening skills. What'd you hear today? What's in your hands? Where are you? Where's your brother? Who's your family? So this week, you can reach out and you can be the family member someone else desperately needs in their life.